Chapter 26. As we drove home that afternoon, I pulled my braids down over my eyes and thought about Kara's hand in my hair. The way they felt strong and warm and sure. The tiny point of her comb making straight parts between the braids. The smell of lavender oil she rubbed into my scalp. I had sat there the way I did every time she did my hair, with my eyes closed and my head tilted down, secretly imagining Kara was my mother. I know that's stupid. Holly was sitting across from us, talking away and eating pretzels with peanut butter. I imagined my mom who put the bowl where it was between us. I imagined she'd say, You've always loved pretzels and peanut butter, Haley. I remember when you were a baby. You'd grabbed a spoonful of peanut butter out of my hand and shoved it in your mouth. I was so scared. All those stories I heard about peanut butter allergies and how babies shouldn't have it until they were older. I tried to pry your mouth open with my fingers and scoop it out. But it was Kara talking. Kira, who pried Holly's mouth open. Kira's fear. I let out a deep breath and felt my uncle glance over at me. Tell me about her again, I said. The little bit you know about your mom, right? My uncle said. I figured that's where you had gone. I nodded. I only knew her a short time, he said. By the time Barry and your dad got really serious, I was already away at college. I hardly ever came home. You know your dad didn't approve, right? Yeah, I said. But he died before I was born. And you and your dad had had used some of the money he left to buy your house. Too bad, so sad for him, I guess. Are you mocking me? I shook my head. Nope, just saying what you always say. Your dad wasn't a nice guy, but at least you got to know your mom, even though you were young when she died. I wish I had known mine. You would have loved her crazy, her like craze, Hales, my uncle said, and she would have been over the moon about you. She was over the moon about you. How many times has has he started a story with the same way? I knew exactly what he'd say next. And in my head, I said it with him. Your parents loved each other like that romantic movie kind of love, except it was real. They truly, truly loved each other. My father and mother had met when they were both in Brooklyn College. My mother had been studying to be a nurse and my father wanted to be a teacher. They had some kind of advanced science together. My uncle was still in high school then. He said my dad told him he'd never even imagined the two of them falling in love. It didn't even feel like a possibility. But then it happened, my uncle said. And your dad, when he told me about her, he just said, she's the most amazing person I've ever met. You're going to love her. He didn't say, she's the most amazing black person I've ever met. So I was surprised when I first met her. That's racist, I said. Nah, it's the truth. I was a young knucklehead with a skinny brain, and then I wasn't anymore. She changed you? I asked. She woke you up? Both of you woke me up, and kept on waking me up. He tapped my head. The sun was starting to set, and the sky was bright orange now. Upstate was so different from Brooklyn. There weren't buildings blocking the sky, and the mountains felt like you were just there to let the color slip through them and around them, just there to help us see it all. Your mother would always try to pinch my cheeks when I first met her. My uncle was saying, you're such a cutie, and she'd say every time she saw me. Man, I'd get so mad about that. I mean, it wasn't like I was some little kid like you. Hey, you know what I mean. I was 15. 15 is almost a man. Almost, uncle. Just almost, but not. 
She was only five years older than me. I always loved to see her smiling, and it was so easy to make her laugh. He glanced at me. When you smile, it reminds me of her. I smiled into the window, trying to imagine my 20-year-old, not-yet-mother, pinching my uncle's cheek. I could see her hands dark with bright red polish, but her face and hair were blurred. Was she tall, I said. Taller than your dad. And someone in her family had red hair too, I said, but not her. Red hair on both sides, my uncle said. You were doomed. I was doomed. My uncle laughed. Behind his glasses, I could see the lines at the edges of his eyes. Crow's feet. That's what he said people called them. Tiny maps of my life, he'd say. They were beautiful. We drove for a while without talking. We were listening to Joni Mitchell, a singer from way back before my uncle was a kid. He was singing about the color green. She had a song about the color blue, but the green song was one of my favorites. Her voice was sweet and high, but could, do, could make it do crazy things and hold notes for so long, like it made your eyes water. My uncle sang along with her. There'd be icicles and birthday clothes, and sometimes there'll be sorrow. The story is not complicated. Since that time in the hospital, I'd asked my uncle about it again and again. I was born when my parents were both 26. Then, when I was three, they got into a car accident coming back from a party. My dad was driving, and when they got a block away from home, my dad accidentally hit the accelerator instead of the brake and mowed into a lamppost before swerving the car and hitting the outside wall of a donut shop. It was nearly morning, and the streets were empty, so nobody came when he screamed for help. So he stumbled home to get my uncle to help him get my mom out of the car. She won't move, he kept saying. She won't wake up. My uncle's voice gets quiet when he tells that part of the story. My dad's nose was broken, and he had cuts on his hands and arms. My uncle was babysitting me. Before the three of us could get back in the car, the cops pulled up beside us, back to the car. The cops pulled up beside us and arrested my dad for leaving the scene of a crime and for drunk driving. He kept saying to me, my uncle told me, go get her, please go make her wake up. My mother was six days away from her 30th birthday, but by the time the cops booked my father, my mother had been dead for hours. She will always be 29. Sometimes I say the words slowly to myself, vehicular homicide. It sounds like a hiccup or like the first words of a song. It sounds like the promise of something. And then it doesn't. Tell me again about the day after the accident, I said. I told your mom and dad both, I told you, your mom and dad both had to go away, my uncle said. I told you to keep, to keep you safe, though, that you didn't have to worry, and that you'd see your daddy again soon. I told you I loved you and that I'd always take care of you. And I asked you who would take care of me all day, and you said, we're good, Red, I can do it. That I did. That's what you used to call me before I made you stop. Yep. And I said, does that mean I'm white now? My uncle smiled. You sure did. And I said, nope. You said I'd always be half white and half black. And that until it turned gray, you'd always have red hair. Tell me again how I made you stop calling me red. You said, my name is Haley, not red. And not quietly either, my uncle laughed. I'd never heard you have so much conviction before that day. I thought about Amari calling me red and how I didn't mind it so much when he said it. 
And what do you think about how I said it? I thought, I'm raising a strong, brave girl. I'm doing something right. I leaned across the car and rested my head against his arm. Sometimes I don't feel so brave. Sometimes I just feel scared, you know? He said, that makes two of us. Chapter 27. You think he's coming back? Ashton asked. I don't know his phone number or anything. It was Thursday, and Esteban had been absent the whole week. The five of us sat in the corner of the cafeteria, not touching our food, while rain slammed against the windows. Miss Laverne said she's trying to find out what happened, Polly said, but the number the school has for him is disconnected. Yeah, Amari said, Esteban doesn't have his own phone, remember? I used to let him play games on mine. Amari stopped talking and shook his head. I mean, not I used to. He always plays games on mine. That's what I meant to say. And when he gets back to school, I'm going to keep letting him do it. But, I started to say, no buts, Red. You have to think positive. I don't think he would move away without saying goodbye to us, Ashton said. We're his friends. But they take people, Tiago said. In the night, in the morning, they just take them. Like they took his dad. So what if they came in the night and took E and his family? But they can't, Ashton said. Esteban and his sister, both of them were born here. I know, right? Amari said. He looked around the cafeteria. It was loud with the sound of trays banging and kids yelling. Someone blew a whistle, and for a moment, everything went silent. And then a boy in the far end of the cafeteria held up the whistle he had blown, and it was like somebody turned on the sound again. I watched a teacher go over to him and take the whistle away. His dad wrote good poetry, Holly said. Writes, I said. He writes good poetry. They're not dead, guys. It just sucks, Amari said. Here we are trying to have the art room, and boom, it gets messed up like this. I mean, Esteban, he's cool. He's nice. He makes us, the six of us. It's not fair. No, it's not, Holly said. This is supposed to be America, the land of the free and the home of the brave. Amari was drinking milk, and he started laughing so hard it came spraying out of his mouth and nose all over the table. And Holly. So gross, Holly said. Oh my God, you are so, so gross. She wiped her shirt and hands with a tissue. Milk sprinkled her sandwich, so she pushed the whole tray away. My bad, Amari said, but he was still laughing. Then he stopped and looked at all of us. I got one word for you, Amari, he said. Lenape. What about them? You think they were somewhere saying, well, this is supposed to be the land of the free and the home of the brave. Nah, man. They were here in Lenapehoking, a.k.a. New York City, getting robbed. They were getting gangstered by the so-called settlers. You missed that whole history lesson? Holly glared at him. No, I didn't miss the whole history lesson, she said, mocking him. Then how are you going to try to erase them? You're doing the same thing that people with the people who took E's dad are doing, up here trying to erase people. No, I'm not, Holly yelled. We got quiet. Amari looked around the cafeteria. People are staring at us. One of the eighth graders who had necked Ashton gave us the finger, and Tiago and Amari and Ashton jumped out of their seats and lurched toward him. But the boy put up his hands in an all's cool kind of way, and they sat back down. Ashton neck was back to its pale, skinny self. There was something both heartbreaking and awesome about the boy being scared of some sixth and fifth and sixth grade special kids. Come on, guys, Tiago said. 
E will be back. We don't need to be fighting about it. He wouldn't want that. Nah, we all agreed. He wouldn't. Chapter 28. On Friday, Esteban was still gone. Amari came into the art room saying, the great imperfect world continues to spin on a slant. He threw his hands up like he just said something amazing. We just looked at him, waiting for him to say something else, but he didn't. He took his seat, looked over at Esteban's empty spot by the window and took out his markers. Tiago reached for the recorder. We all froze, even Amari, his drawing pad halfway out of his backpack. The colored markers gathered in their rubber band on his desk. Maybe for a millisecond, the world stopped spinning. Maybe Esteban, wherever he was, turned toward the art room and smiled. Can I record myself today? Tiago asked. The four of us nodded, our mouths slightly open. He pressed the record button, cracked his left knuckles with his right hand, and started talking. So now it's almost wintertime, right? And we've been coming here for so long, and I feel like I know you guys... And you're sort of like my brothers and sisters. And I know I can trust you, right? We all nodded. I felt like there's love in this room. I know that sounds corny, but I feel it. He hit his chest. Right here, I feel like we care about each other. Even Esteban. Tiago kissed his pointer and middle finger and raised them into the air. Wherever he is, he's our brother and he's our friend. And a part of him is in this room. We kissed our own fingers and raised them to the air, nodding. I want to tell you the story of Perito. He's my dog. He was part Doberman, part Labrador. He was the best dog. He was my best friend. He spoke Spanish and English. Sometimes when Miss Laverne asks us to write in class, it's hard for me. The words don't want to come. I see you guys all writing and writing, and I want to do that too. But the words I write come out in Spanish, not English. And the people are always saying, speak English, speak English. Not you guys. When you see me, and Esteban speaking Spanish, you say, teach me. You didn't mean, you don't mean to say mean thing. <clears throat> you don't say mean things. Once when me and my mom were walking down the block speaking in Spanish, this guy yelled at us. This is America, speak English. But I'm from Puerto Rico and Puerto Rico is part of the United States too. So Spanish should be American, right? We all agreed. Omari was drawing, but he kept nodding with the rest of us. Tiago's quiet was beginning to make sense to us. But me and my mom didn't say anything, Tiago said, because that guy was big and he looked mad. If Perito had been with us, I bet that guy wouldn't have said anything. Perito was big too, and the Doberman part of him was mad protective of us. <clears throat> when me and my mom got to the next block, we started talking again. But my mom was whispering, and I was sad that that guy with his red, angry face made my mom quieter. The four of you guys, he pointed at me, Ashton, Holly, and Amari, you guys only speak English. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But dude, Amari said, Puerto Rico's a part of this country. You speak English too. Yeah, I know, Tiago said, but I only speak in Spanish with my, but I only speak in Spanish with my family. And in PR, Puerto Rico, even though we had to speak English and Spanish in school, I still like speaking Spanish better. His voice dropped, and he looked down at his hands. And because I come from Puerto Rico, I'm safe. I don't have to worry. Not for myself and my family, just for my friends. 
He stared at the voice recorder for a long time. My mom, when she's at home, she loves to sing in Spanish. She talks in Spanish. She cooks in Spanish. It feels like she even laughs in Spanish because her smile gets so, so big. But when she goes outside now, she's very quiet because she's afraid another person like that guy will look inside her mouth and see Puerto Rico there. Not the beach or the sparkling blue ocean, not the awesome pastelitos or the quinpas that are so sweet you can't stop eating them. She thinks they'll see her small town of Isabella where her dad raised chickens and on the holidays her abuela made arzo the old way on an old fire outside and everybody begged for the pagayo, the crispy rice that stuck to the bottom of the pot. She thinks people here will say, go back to your country, even though this is her country. And it hurts her. It makes her sad and ashamed because if somebody, because if somebody keeps saying and saying something to you, you start believing it, you know? My mom has the past dreams of Puerto Rico and the future dream of this place. And this place acts like it doesn't have any future dreams of us. In English, Puerto means little dog. Our dog was just a tiny black puppy when we got him. We could almost, he could almost fit in my hand. He was so small. Some people couldn't say his name right because you have to kind of roll your tongue to say the sound of the two R's together. Not everybody can do it. We all tried to do it, to say parito like Tiago did. Only Amara could do it right, though. I wanted to give him a name that not everybody could say, Tiago told us. I wanted to make him even more special than he already was. I could whisper it, and he would come running. His hearing was crazy good. When people called his name in English without doing the right thing with the R's, he wouldn't even lift his head. When he was dying last year, I put his head in my lap, and I just kept petting him. I said his name real soft, over and over and over. Prito, prito, prito. I wasn't scared. He just kept looking more and more peaceful. And then his breath kept getting faster and faster, like maybe in his mind he was somewhere winning a race. And then his breathing stopped. His eyes closed. I put my face against his head and said, you won, Prito. You won the race. And my mom let me stay like that for a long time. Just me and Prito's body and the quiet. Tiago stopped talking. He had tears in his eyes, but he wasn't crying. Not really. Then the tears were spilling over. We didn't look at him. It felt like it would be wrong to stare or say anything. He was in his own world. He was back with Perito, his face on Perito, and ahead of them, the finish line. I know in my heart, Tiago whispered, the language we like to speak is music and poetry, and even cold and sweet parangas and hot, hot summer days. But it feels like this place wants to break my heart. It feels like every day it tries to make my mom feel tinier and tinier, like the size of Perito's head in my hands. Chapter 29. The next week, just as we were getting ready to do math problems, Esteban walked back into our classroom. Miss Laverne didn't try to keep us from jumping out of our seats to hug him and slap his back and say, where were you? And we were so scared you left forever. And is your dad home? He's still gone in Florida, Esteban said when we'd finally calmed down. But he sent me another poem. Amari had his arm over Esteban's shoulder and Tiago was standing so close to him as he could. 
The rest of us had gone back to our seats, but we were all staring at E in wonder. It felt magical to have him back. It felt like we were almost perfect again. Miss Laverne asked him to come up to the front of the class and to read the poem to us. And when Amari finally let go of him, he carefully removed a piece of yellow paper from between his notebook pages. His uniform was clean but wrinkled, and the dark circles under his eyes looked like they covered most of his face now. He looked skinnier, too. We moved to live with my aunt in Queens, he said, and one of my crazy baby cousins tried to eat this. He held up the poem. The edge had a tiny bitten bite taken out of it. Esteban looked, shook his head, but he was smiling. I'm going to read it in Spanish first, Esteban said. He read, and even though I didn't understand the words, they were so beautiful, they sounded like music. I put my head down on the desk to listen better. Now I'm going to read the English translation that I made for you. He looked at the five of us, then at Miss Laverne. He seemed older somehow, like he'd gone away and lived a whole life and then came back to us. In the bright night, when the dog barks at shadows, tell him not to be afraid of what he cannot see or the things he does not yet understand. There is mystery everywhere. Beneath rocks, there is damp earth and an army of ants planting a revolution. Esteban stood in the front of the room, staring at the page. Then he lifted his head and looked at us. We cheered again, even louder this time. I didn't know if any of us really understood his dad's poem, but for a long time, after he finished reading, I thought about that army of ants, how they were coming together, like us. Chapter 30 And in the night, when the dog barks at shadows, tell him not to be afraid. In the cafeteria that day, Esteban asked if he could record the poems he'd read to us. I don't know if I'm going to be here tomorrow, he said, or the next day, or the day after that. But I thought you were back, son, Amari said. Esteban looked down at his empty tray. He'd eaten everything on it so fast. Amari handed over his milk, and I gave him my leftover beef taco. We don't know what's going to happen, he told us later when we got to the ARTT room. They might be trying to deport my mommy, too, and that's why we moved to my aunt's house. It's like my mommy has to hide now. But why? Ashton asked. Esteban shrugged. She's from the DR, too. My aunt, she was born here, and her husband is from America. My mummy said if she gets sent back, me and my sister can stay with my aunt, but I don't want that. He climbed up to his place by the window, but he didn't qu- But he didn't get quiet and stare out. He turned toward us and crossed his legs. When he did, I saw the holes in the bottoms of his shoes. His socks, which were probably bright white when they were new, were grayish and barely covered his ankles. His uniform fa- pants were too short now. I turned on the recorder and put it on my desk. Esteban nodded, repeated what he said, what he had just said, and continued. They took my puppy. They came to his job when he was leaving, and they said he didn't belong in this country. Maybe always in his heart, he knew the day was coming. When I was little, he used to always say to me, Every day is a blessing from God, Esteban. Even if it rains or gets so cold you can see your breath and think your own bones are going to break beneath your skin, this too is God's blessing, my puppy said. One day, your days are all gone, and then, that's when you have nothing. I was probably a stupid little kid whining because I wanted a toy or ice cream. I don't even remember. But now I know something. I know we had everything we needed. We had food every day, and coats, and boots, and warm socks, and water. Before, you used to hear the word immigration, 
and it sounded like everything you ever believed in. It sounded like Feliz Cumpleaños and Merry Christmas and Welcome Home. But now you hear it and you get scared because it sounds like a word that makes you want to disappear. It sounds like someone getting stolen away from you. What's going to happen, E? Amari asked. Esteban shrugged. My mommy says you have to pay for lawyers and stuff to fight it, but we don't have money for that. I think I think we're all going to have to go back to the DR, and that would suck because I would miss New York, and I would miss all of you guys. We sat there, silent, all of us looking at Esteban. It felt like he was already almost gone, and we were trying hard to remember him. Chapter 31 After Christmas vacation, everyone returned looking a little bit different. The thing that mattered the most was that Esteban had come back, too. Tiago came back wearing glasses, thin wire frames that he took off to show us how they caught the light and bounced rainbows around the room. They reminded me of my uncle's glasses. I watched Tiago place them gently back over his nose. Years from now, I thought, there'll be people who never knew Tiago before glasses. Those are nice kicks, Ashton said, staring longingly at Holly's sneakers. Those are the ones I asked asked for for Christmas, but I got these instead. Ashton made a face and held up his feet. The sneakers were white and cheap looking, like the kind they sold in discount stores. My mom started singing that you get what you get song, which I complained. Sorry. And my mom started singing that you get what you get song when I complained. He put his feet down. You lucked out, Halls. It's not luck, Amari said. Holly's a rich girl. Everybody knows that. Oh, I'm not, Holly said. Don't start in on me, Amari. But Holly pulled her feet back like she was embarrassed by her sneakers. I'd gone with her and Kira the day she got them. Her mom took one look at the price and called on Jesus. Nobody in their house is religious, but for some reason, that's what came to her lips when she saw the price. But I love them, Holly said, and they can be one of my Christmas presents. And plus, those are what everybody's wearing. I waited for Kira to say what she always said to Holly. If everybody jumped off a bridge, but she didn't. I'm going to get you these, she said really softly, so that Holly had to stop tying the sneakers and look up to hear her. But I want you to know that everybody is not wearing them. I want you to understand what that means. Holly nodded. A look came over her, as though the words are finding a ro- were finding a room in her brain. Geez, Ma, I know, she said. Sometimes I thought Kira didn't know Holly like I knew her. Some days I saw her looking at her daughter like she couldn't believe they were related. But it wasn't Holly's fault that she'd always known she could walk into a store and ask for expensive sneakers and get them. And Holly was really generous. Even when we were little, she made sure I had whatever she had from candy to new comic books to time with Kira. She made her mom buy two of things and always had one waiting for me. I don't want to have this alone, she would say. That's not even a little bit fun. Wish I had such nice kicks, rich girl, Amari whispered loud enough for everyone to hear. He was not going to drop it. Delete you, Amari, Holly blurted out. Why are you even in my ear? You two just love to argue, I said. My uncle says that sometimes two people come into the world having the same fight they left the world having. Holly looked at me. What does that even mean? I pointed to her and Amari. You two, maybe in another life you guys are having this fight. My uncle says people just keep getting reincarnated into each other's lives until they figure it out. Tiago laughed. You guys have been fighting since the days of dinosaurs. I don't know. No offense, Amari, Holly said. But you better not be getting all up in my next life. I don't even like you in this one. What's not to like about Amari, Ashton said. There's not really anything not to like about him. Yeah, Tiago said. He's not really... I mean, he's not really a bad guy. Not really. The boys laughed, even Esteban, who was sitting in the window seat, watching the sleet come down. 
He draped his Yankees jacket over his shoulder like a cape. Amari smiled. I shouldn't have ever told y'all about that name, he said. But Amari wasn't really laughing with his friends. He was studying Holly. It dawned on me then, clear and loud as a siren, that it mattered to Amari what Holly thought about him. Her words had stung, and just like our tilting earth, Amari was off balance, hurt by her words. I touched Holly's arm. Couldn't you see it? The way Amari's face had dropped? You don't really not like him, right, Holly? I tried to get her to look at me, to see me pleading with her. She shrugged. The room got eerily quiet. Before I could say anything else, Holly said, Nobody chooses where they get born or who they get born to. Maybe my parents are rich, but that doesn't mean I am. I mean, I am now, I guess, but... Holly looked up at Amari. It's not my fault. I don't think Miss Laverne wanted us to not like each other in this room, Tiago said. I think she wanted us to get closer, not more far away, not more far away from each other. Holly picked up her knitting needles. She knitted slowly now, like her mind was someplace else. Her feet were still tucked beneath her chair. If anybody in this room wanted these sneakers, I'd give them to you. My uncle says our lives are dashes, from birth to death. And each day is a new dash, another day, another chance. I wanted to tell him that people are dashes, too, each a tiny bit of a connection to the next. Holly glanced over at Amari, then down at his drawing, and back at, me, at him again. I don't like when you call me rich girl, Mar, she said. Amari shrugged. Then I won't anymore. That's all you had to say. You didn't have to come at me all mean and whatnot. Dash to dash, my uncle would say. Holly to Amari, me to Holly, Perito to Tiago, Esteban to his father, Amari to Ashton, Miss Laverne to all of us. My uncle said when people come together and they all care about the same things, it's called a harmonic convergence. He said all that energy together can shift the whole planet. The sleeting stopped. The sun came out. We good? Amari asked. And Holly said, yeah, Amari, we're good. Chapter 32. How come you haven't talked about your dad in the ARTT room? Holly asked me. It was Friday night and almost 930. My hair was washed, oiled, and cornrowed. Kira had finished it while me and Holly ate spinach pizza at the kitchen table. Now Kira had gone off to a movie with Holly's father, and the babysitter was downstairs asleep on the couch. How many Fridays had I spent in this house, in this room? So many I'd lost count. If someone spun me around a hundred times and drove me all over Brooklyn, then walked me blindfolded back into Holly's house, I would know it. I would know the smell of it, oil soap and fireplace wood, I wouldn't go the sound of it, a creaking fifth step between the second and third floors, creaking banister between the first and second. And if Kira held out her hand to me, I wouldn't go it was hers by the softness of her fingers, the length of her nails, the many, many times I'd felt its weight on my head. We were sitting on Holly's queen-size bed, combing her doll's hair. Holly had white everything on her bed, sheets, comforter, pillowcases, because she had insisted on dark purple walls. Kira wouldn't say yes unless everything else in the room was white. On the floor beside the bed was a round white shag rug. The doll I was wearing, uh, the, the doll I had was wearing a green nightgown. Holly's doll was in overalls and we had changed their outfits twice already. The dolls all had stories and books that came with them about how they'd gotten to be true Americans. They were expensive. And while Holly had all of them, I only had one, a doll who had escaped slavery and gotten free in Philadelphia. We could go months without even looking at the dolls. Then other times we played with them for hours. You haven't told about your dad or your mom, Holly said. Are you going to? She stopped braiding her doll's hair and looked at me. But I do talk, I said. I talk into the recorder at night in my room. I'm on there too. I don't know, Holly said. 
I don't know if that's fair for everybody. Everybody else is spilling their guts and you're talking in private. Are you ashamed of your life? No, of, of course not. But Holly kept looking at me. She blinked slowly. I don't have anything to be ashamed of, I said. Then how come you don't talk about your dad or tell him about your uncle? All the times Amari's called me rich girl, you just sat there. What did you want me to say? Holly shrugged. No, Holly, tell me. What did you want me to say? Wanted you to say I'm a rich girl too. But I'm not. Holly shook her head. I'm not. I felt my voice getting high. Hilly, listen to me. Your uncle owns that whole building you live in. He drives a nice car. He works at home doing tech stuff when he wants, but he doesn't have to. Not like my dad. Not like Amari's dad or all the other kids' parents either. When your grandparents died, they left your uncle and dad all their money. When your mom died, they put all the insurance money in the bank for you. When you turn 21, you get it. How do you even know this, I said. I mean, I knew some of it, like about the building and stuff, but I never thought of us as rich. Your uncle and my mom talk. That's how. Grown-ups tell each other things, and then they talk to other grown-ups, and sometimes us kids are around listening. I didn't say anything. It felt strange. Weird. Rich? My uncle never bought me expensive clothes. We never went on fancy vacations. And most of our furniture was stuff my uncle had bought from thrift shops. He found the coffee table on the street. One leg was shorter than the other three. Holly put her doll on the pillow and leaned against the wall behind the bed. I'm not trying to be mean to you, Haley. I know sometimes it sounds that way because I just say stuff. I know you're not being mean, I said. But I kept my eyes on the doll. Her tiny earrings sparkled. I think sometimes... Holly said slowly, as though the idea was just now coming to her. Life gives you stuff you don't want, but you have to take it anyway. Like my hair, I said. Or what happened with my mom and dad? Holly nodded. Yeah, but your hair is amazing. And all the stuff you know is amazing, Holly. After a minute, after thinking about what she had said about me being rich, after knowing that she was right and that maybe somewhere... Buried with a lot of other stuff, I knew it too. I said, and you make us think. Holly shrugged, then grabbed up a bunch of her braids with both hands. But sometimes my mouth hurts people too. Like, I hate that I can't stop it from saying things and can't stop my body from jumping up and moving around when Miss Laverne tells us to stay in our seats. Sometimes I just want to be regular. But you're not regular. You're Holly. I love your big mouth and your jumpy body and how you make us all laugh in a good way. Holly got up from the bed and started walking fast, back and forth across the room. I used to think ARTT started mostly because of me and you, she said. I know that's crazy. I mean, think about it. She stopped pacing and looked at me. If I hadn't met you, it wouldn't be the six of us. We're lucky the way we all got dropped there, the way we all ended up in Ms. Laverne's class together, right? All of that happened because A, B, and C happened. And that led to D, E, and F, and so on, until basically your life is the whole alphabet. The alphabet is people meeting people, leading to other people meeting until we're old and then we die. Or sometimes we're not old and we die, I said quietly. Yeah. Holly climbed on the bed and put her arms around me. That's true too. I'll talk, I said, next Friday. And I'll be there right next to you, okay? That night, as always, we slept with our backs to each other, our spines, as always, touching.